the mic on? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to NBF episode 238, where we're going to be talking about affairs of the Ummah. I am not Dr. Shadi. Uh, I'm Salman Ahmed. Dr. Shadi's running a little bit late, so he told me to just uh, start the stream and start talking. So uh, I'm visiting here from the Dallas area, and I was here for the Darul Fat program. Alhamdulillah, uh, we just concluded the program this past week, so I just wanted to talk about some of the highlights of this program uh, for those of you who are interested in joining, inshallah. Uh, as you guys know, Safina Society offers ArcView classes, which are the online classes. Um, so as you know, Dr. Shadi, he's been talking about it the last few days uh, and last few weeks. They're going to have four different tracks for the program. Uh, ArcView Kids, ArcView Arabic, uh, what are the other two? ArcView Plus and then ArcView Basic. So these four programs are offered for those who are trying to study online. As for those who want to come on site to New Jersey, which I would highly recommend, uh, especially in the month of Rabi al-Awwal, there's going to be maulids like every night I heard. Uh, so I definitely need to need to come. Um, but for those coming that want to come on site, we have Dar al-Fat program, uh, the seminary that they started. Uh, this past summer, we covered the Fardain. So we went through Fiqh, Aqidah, and Tasawwuf, as well as the Arba'in Hadith of Imam al-Nawawi. Uh, we have teachers like Sheikh Harun, who, is, uh, who taught Maliki Fiqh. Uh, and that's the course that I took, alhamdulillah. So that really opened up my eyes uh, to Fiqh and actually studying Fardain for the first time uh, in a proper manner. Uh, Aqidah, we had uh, Sheikh Murad, who was the teacher for, for that. And then we had uh, Sheikh Imran, who's a new teacher. He's teaching Hanafi Fiqh. And then we have, uh, who else did we have? Uh, obviously, Dr. Shadi for Tasawwuf, uh, which those classes are going to continue uh, throughout the year. And they're going to be online. So uh, we can ask him if it's available for everybody as well. Uh, so I just wanted to give a shout out to Dar al uh, And last but not least, uh, Dr. or future Dr. Uthman. Uh, Oz, as you guys are familiar with, uh, he really did a great job, mashallah, setting everything up uh, and giving extra time to the students. Uh, like I spent 15, 20 hours at least outside of class covering different uh, poems in Maliki Fiqh with him. Uh, so I really wanted to give him a shout out and I thank you for that. Uh, you can turn your mic on and talk about the, the soup kitchen uh, because that's another uh, feature of the program. I think it's uh, mic three. Yeah. Assalamualaikum, everyone. So the soup kitchen is also... You need to get closer to the mic. It's like a part of Dalat Fat in a sense. Dr. Shadi also has a big part in it. It's the soup kitchen we run from the Dalat Fat building. We're all doing a back-to-school drive and everything like that right now. We have uh, barbecues and all, all the time for our kids and the community. We have every Wednesday from 6 till 7. We give out food to everyone. And we're the back-to-school drive is happening... Next next weekend, if I'm correct, inshallah, it'll go very well. Inshallah. So, Dr. Shadi is still not here. Uh, are there any current affairs besides Imran Khan that you want to talk about? No. Okay. Okay. Inshallah. Then uh, I'll just step off. Then and we'll wait till Dr. Shadi gets here. Hopefully, he's here in a few minutes. Because uh, I don't know what else to talk about. So. See you guys soon. Sound like.
All right, IDC, come and bring us our stories that we have today. You know, for you know the affairs of the Ummah. Affairs of the Ummah today. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillah. Wa ala alihi. Welcome everybody to the Safina Society Nothing But Facts live stream on a really warm and hot Wednesday. I mean, it is, you, you don't want to be outside. Not just the heat, the mugginess is something else. I was going to begin with something. I wanted to say how many messages I got that were people were so happy just that we um, talked about Imran Khan. And we mentioned his UN speech and stuff. I mean, peop- he's just loved. I can't blame them. They got to go and ruin it and put some, you know, neg- guy with negative charisma in there who's not going to move the needle at all in the world, uh, in the scene, on the world, but uh, in, on the world forum or in the world scene, whatever. <coughs> What's the expression? Uh, the world stage. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> On the world stage, they're going to put some guy who has no, does not move the needle at all. All right, Muslim news today. Affairs of the Ummah. Last week, we talked about the affairs of the Ummah relating to, we talked about <coughs> our brothers and sisters in England, of course, having some, uh, these types of dramas that we don't expect, which aren't really even news of the Ummah. Okay? But here is another piece of news. Bengali Islamic leader Dilwar Hussein Sayyid Sayyidi. Okay? He is the president of Bangladesh's opposition, Jamaat al Islami Party, and former member of parliament. Okay? And he has passed away, alayhi rahmatullah. I don't know anything about the politics or the groups of Bangladesh, but that's why we're here. We're here to learn and to expose our ignorance about things or, or get to see where we're ignorant about things and remedy those. That's what the whole pur- purpose of the affairs of the ummah is. We have such a vast ummah, it's unbelievable how like you'll, you'll never catch up with what's happening. But the Prophet Sallallahu said in broadly that whoever is not concerned with the affairs of our Ummah is not one of us, which means that not everyone has to be a hundred percent up to date on everything, but we should care and we should um, expand our horizons and we should be cosmopolitan. Shouldn't just be stuck to one culture. That that era's done with. Like that era of just like just doing one culture uh, that era is done with. Like we, everyone's got to be global. Sayyidi eighty three was a prominent Islamic scholar and speaker. Yeah, he was taken to the university in Dhaka Sunday afternoon after suffering a heart attack, and then he passed away. He was in jail for thirteen years. 
passed away at the hospital. Now, why was he? Uh, what is exa- exactly his his uh, stance in politics? What made him something special in Bangladesh? One of the leaders of the World Islamic Movement, internationally re- renowned Mufassir of Quran, famous Alimi Din. Okay. Bangladesh Jamaat Islami Naib Amir, meaning second in, ch- in command. Naib, I guess, Naib Amir, second in command. International renowned Islamic scholar, multiple author, Dilwar Hussein Sayyidi, rahimahullah, ended his world tour. That's interesting. Interesting phraseology there. Ended his world tour tonight at 8 p.m. In response to the call of Rabbil Alameen. Very poetic. This great brother has struggled all his life to establish Islam in the court of the world. Despite torture, he did not move away from his ideals and his movements. His death is painful for the world Islamic movement. Why do they keep saying world Islamic movement? Like, is there something beyond that? Like, why not say, like, the Dawah or something? Anyway, it's a minor issue. Sheikh Sayyidi has been serving a life sentence for alleged crimes against humanity during the Bangladesh Independence War. Do you know anything about this? Are you Bengali or Pakistani? And Sinman? Pakistan. His party, however... Oh, congratulations, you guys. August 14th, the big day. Okay. His party, however, considered the trial controversial and regarded it as a political attempt to try party leaders. In 2013, a local court called the International Crime Tribunal sentenced Sayyidi to death for crimes against humanity. If crimes against humanity means he, that's like a big deal. Like, did he torture people? At least 78 people died in clashes with police and other law enforcement. Okay, in reaction to the court verdict. Whoa. That's not clashes if 78 people died. That's a full-blown riot. The country's Supreme Court in 2014 reduced the punishment. To life imprisonment, however. So what was it before death sentence? Wow. If if life imprisonment is the reduction, it must have been death sentence. Okay. In 2009, the Crimes Tribunal was criticized for unfair trial standards. Okay. Bangladesh gained independence from Pakistan in 1971 after a bloody war. The Jamaat-e-Islami Party has been criticized for its alleged collaboration with the Pakistani army during the war. Okay? So that the Jamaat-e-Islami... But wait a second, wait a second. Pakistan at that point is the nation, right? And Bangladesh is breaking away. So he was just being a loyalist to his country. And he was doing what in most Islamic fiqh would be against breaking away right from a muslim country not from a hindu country which you could understand august 14th like the idea of pakistan a country for the muslims that makes sense because you you don't want to be ruled by hindus but here you are ruled by muslims and you're doing a second breakaway in 1971 so why would they be criticized for collab they're not collaborating that is their that's their nation uh the war culminated in the succession, the secession of East Pakistan from West Pakistan, resulting in the creation of the independent nation of Bangladesh. 
Rooted in decades of political, economic, and cultural disparities between the two wings of Pakistan, tension re- tensions reached a breaking point. The Awami League, led by Sheikh Mujibur Rahman, emerged as a political force championing rights and autonomy of East Pakistan. 1970 general elections saw the Awami League win a landslide victory in East Pakistan, gaining a majority in the National Assembly. However, the central government's reluctance to transfer power fueled widespread frustration. In response, the Pakistani military launched Operation Searchlight to suppress growing demands for autonomy. The Mukti Bahini, a Bengali guerrilla force, formed to fight the Pakistani Pakistani military. So that's a terrorist group, really. As violence escalated, millions of East Pakistani refugees fled to India. See? Back to the Hindus? (laughs) That's why this stuff is not good. In December of 1971, India intervened militarily to support Bahini, escalating the conflict into a full-scale war. A joint Indian and Bahini offensive led to the defeat of the Pakistani military. So Bangladesh, are you like, they basically did a Sharif Hussein, where they went and decided, took aid from the Hindus against the Muslims. So is this a sore spot uh, in uh no, for for Pakistan, it's like a sore spot. Like, why did you guys do this and Possibly, stuff? There, there's a majority of Bengali people that do resent Pakistanis because of that. They resent Pakistanis. I don't, I don't understand. It was way before my time. I don't understand. Yeah. Let's see if people are saying anything here. Listen, folks, we're this Safina Society, nothing but facts live stream Wednesday is dedicated to the affairs of the Ummah, the history of the Ummah, the, to be aware of the different cultures of Muslims out there, their their histories, their politics. And that's what we're doing. Uh, that's what we're doing today. So, okay. Chocolate Wallace says, oh my God, Bengalis will be supremely offended by this. Uh, offended, are we speaking facts or fiction here? They um, they broke away from another Muslim nation. I'm not saying that there probably wasn't some grievances or some, everyone has grievances. I can come up with grievances, but um, it seems that it was oppressive, Salman S says. Oppression begets, you know, Salman S is a big helper at Arcview. There's two Salmans. Salman D. Yes, Dallas. Salman from Dallas. And Salman S. Okay. All right. And, of course, somebody here saying what makes sense. The, bit, the bitterness is only with the older f- generation that experienced this because I'm sure the youth are uh, really not affected by this. The war resulted in significant loss of life, widespread human rights abuse, and many casualties ranging from hundreds of thousands and some even said millions. Jamaati Islami opposed the country's independence from Pakistan during the war. Let's rephrase that. Jamaati Islami opposed. Okay, dis, what's what would be the right word? Khuruj, um, Khawarij. They opposed rebellion against authority. Let, let's just reword this here. Jamaati Islami did not oppose independence or this wonderful thing, independence. No, they opposed rebellion against the ruler against the government, against the authority. How about saying they oppose the separation of Muslims it's from one strong big body to two different bodies, okay? All right. 
how about that as uh, as a different framing of of the masala all right many of its leaders were aligned with the pakistani military their military and were accused of collaborating with them what language is this how do you collaborate with your own military right collaborating is a word that implies treachery i collaborate like with another nation that would be correct no this paragraph is way off <laughs> uh, we need to get brother jalal for an explanation he's our, our resident uh you know a bengali from uh, who who would know this stuff because this is from his generation we need him on the stream to know what's going on here because um this doesn't make any sense just the, the just be careful of the language when you read these things right i mean it's it's funny to see how he's trying to pull the wool over your eyes against independence no how about against see if this is the pain management doctor how about against rebellion many of its leaders were aligned with the pakistani military and accused of collaborating with them right Oh, this is an interesting story. Who was it? Huh? Not not the doctor? Okay. This is an interesting story here. Afghanistan. This is hilarious. Many people are saying that the Bengalis in the history were oppressed and still very oppressed, okay, by the Pakistanis. The main reason was that they were very poor. And the Indians made use of this and split between the Ummah. Okay. It's a very sore and sensitive topic for many Bengalis. I uh, recognize that that kind of oppression is a very sore, but what I, the criticism here is the language of this article saying the Jamaati Islami is against independence. Wait a second. Independence. Hold on. You have one nation here. So they're against rebellion. They're against breaking up an ummah, breaking up a nation. Okay. And then you don't collaborate with your nation's army. You work with your nation's army, right? Loyally to the nation. All right. You collaborate with an enemy, a foreign enemy. Now let's move from Pakistan and Bangladesh where we're... Uh, took a little sliver of history and learned that let's move over a little bit more to afghanistan present day who has afghanistan sentenced a sorcerer okay um i'm sort of tickled here by the language and look at the picture that five pillars put up look at this like candles and flames and sorcery witchcraft a sorcerer has been sentenced to eight years in prison in afghanistan's jozan province amid a crackdown on witchcraft okay now witchcraft by the way i believe is a thing but legally it's not a thing i don't think in america ever since the scarlet letter or ever since the wait sorry i don't not the Scarlet Letter, the uh, Salem Witch Trials. 
I don't think witchcraft in the United States was ever a legal category. Okay. Elizabeth Brown makes a good point here. Just imagine somebody says that Abraham Lincoln fought against Confederate independence, right? And who was he? Ulysses S. Grant collaborated with the U.S. Army. Language doesn't make any sense. But, of course, you know, we're not taking lightly or saying anything lightly about the alleged oppression that occurred, right, to the Bengalis. Okay. So we're not going to... Uh, take that lightly let's look at this uh, sorcery article here Sir, the spokesman for the ministry of vice and virtue interesting Muhammad Sadiq Akif wrote on his twitter page some time ago in the Jojan province a, mag a magician was introduced to the court by the provincial directorate of the ministry of vice and virtue and finally he was sentenced to eight years in prison he added that the arrests of these, those practicing sorcery has started with intensity. The news comes after the Ministry of Vice and Virtue ordered an end all, to all magic and spell casting. According to the ministry, giving amulets to people is not against the Sharia. Okay. Amulets. What is an amulet? It's something that you wear or that you hang that you believe is a source of protection and blessing or blessing. Now, are we allowed to have that? Yes, we are, but on one condition. It has to be with the name of Allah only. And the Quran and the dua that is known. It could be your own dua, right? Bismillah, by the name of Allah, There is no harm with his name. In the name of Allah, who's, with whose uh, by whose name no harm is ever attached. So the name of Allah by itself, written, worn uh, in, in a leather case. Why do they put leather case? Because then you can enter it into the bathroom, enter into the bathroom with it. Placed in a car, in a home, what have you. All of that is acceptable in Islam. And it's in the words that he said of Ibn Abi Zayd. Do I have it here? No. Ibn Abi Zayd mentions it. And he mentions Sahaba did this for little kids who did not yet know how to read the Qur'an. It's permitted for kids and it's permitted for adults. Of course, the recitation is, is, is probably, we would say, superior. There's no doubt about that. And the iman is what's even more important. However, the, one of the functions of such amulets or just writing of the name of Allah and dhikrullah is that it triggers the recitation which strengthens the Iman. So this is the level which so-called amulets, and I don't like to use that word because it's, it has an association with the occult or something, or superstitions. So let's say we, what we call it, they call it hijab protection in, in North Africa. They may call it hirz. They may call it ta'weed, seeking refuge, Right? And so when we look at it, we say that Allah himself has said, the Prophet himself has said that by the name of Allah, harm goes away from it. Just the name. 
written, spoken, that's it, uh, in any way, shape, and form. Then it triggers you to recite it, and it triggers you, and it strengthens your belief. Because we are also saying that the recitation is superior. And on top of that, the belief is superior. The belief is even superior. But all of these are domino effects to one another, right? So we can say, okay, believe it only in your heart. Okay, but how do I strengthen that belief? Saying it. All right, put it up in, in writing triggers people to say it, right? So that's why uh, having these things in writing written down is, is good, but there are also some conditions. Some of these conditions are that it has to be in a noble location. It can't be in an innoble, right, area. Uh, you, can't, you have to monitor now where you spread your feet. It shouldn't be on things like keychains. You ever see this little ayatul kursi on a keychain or Allah's name written on a keychain? Well, why is that not right? Well, what do people do with their keys? It's hanging from the key from in the car, thrown in your pocket, back pocket, throw it down. So that's something that anyone who gets me those gifts, I put the keychain somewhere else. I hang it the keychain somewhere else. Let's say on a necklace. That too may not be the best place to put it. If you're going to put it on a necklace, you have to wrap it in leather so you can go to the bathroom. Okay. Anywhere low, it shouldn't be. A bumper sticker, no. Okay. A bumper sticker. Shouldn't put it there. It's low. Anything below the waist level is considered by, in the Sharia, to be a lowly place. That's where the location of Najasa is. So all these situa- places are things you got to keep in mind if and when you ever hang the name of Allah or a hirs or a ta'weeth. So here the, the, the scholar here is saying, according to the Sharia courts of Afghanistan, that amulets themselves are not against the Sharia, but it's the sorcerers and the witches who use non-Islamic amulets that rely on other than the Qur'an this is going to be shut down, okay? I didn't know that uh, Afghanistan even had this problem. Provincial leaders have been instructed to be very serious in pursuing jadigars. They call them jadugars, witches. Although Afghan public opinion has always been disapproving of witchcraft, some Afghans have turned to emulate writers and witches to help solve their problems. In Islam, witchcraft is considered haram because it involves seeking supernatural powers supposedly outside of Allah's control. Well, uh, who's author of this? Just the five pillars staff. No, it's not outside of God's control. Nothing is outside of God's control. Allah is, has created evil. Evil is not just the absence of goodness. Many people imagine that evil is the absence of mercy. No. Evil is a thing. Min sharri ma khalaq. From the evil which Allah created. And witchcraft is forbidden because you are calling upon the dark side of the spiritual world. The unseen world to us is a world of light and is a world of darkness. Is a world of angels and is a world of demons. And Allah is in control of all of them. 
and he created all of them. Nothing's outside of this is Aqida class right now. We just turned into Aqida class because this person, Sheikh Murad would be foaming at the mouth if he read this right now, right? Out, supernatural power supposedly outside of Allah's control. No. You know, Sheikh Murad is a reviver of Aqidah, love of Aqidah, passion for Aqidah. MashaAllah. No. It's not outside of Allah's control. Not evil and the, and the demonic world is fully in his control. He created it, and he has a wisdom behind the creation of it. Okay? So that idea puts us at ease. Okay? Puts us at ease. So he's, it's in his control. It's not something that uh, we have to fear that as the, 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 the devil-worshipping forces in the world, their aqidah is that Satan left God's dominion, meaning not left the heavens, but also left God's control. And he's going to do a coup on God on the day of judgment or something like that. A complete anthropomorphic view of things. Okay. So the writer there, you know, just that that's not the reason that we're, that witchcraft is forbidden. Witchcraft is really no different than when a pious Muslim recites Quran, makes dua, makes wudu, and prays. What is he surrounding himself with? We're surrounding ourselves with angelic forces, and they make everything better. I mean, that's the summary of it. Whatever situation is, when angelic forces are around you, whatever situation you're in, they make everything better, right? No matter what the situation is. Now, the witchcraft pulling upon demonic forces and they make everything worse okay islamic scholars emphasize relying on allah for all matters now that's correct and avoiding these practices associated with witchcraft okay witchcraft is therefore seen as a form of deception and manipulation that contradicts the principles of faith okay you get a pass on those two paragraphs some quranic verses and hadith back this opinion are they followed the shayateen and they gave out false use of magic in the life of Suleiman. Suleiman did not believe that the, but the devils, the shayateen disbelieved teaching men magic. It's their version of how to call upon their, these dark forces. All right. And they learned that which harms them and profits them not. And indeed they knew that the buyers of magic would not share, would not have a share in the hereafter. And the magician will never be successful. Okay. No matter what he attains, and no matter how much skill he attains, he'll never be successful. Why? Because you're calling upon demons who don't want good for you. See, that's the thing you got to understand. The demons don't want good for you. So when they come and, and the devils draw near to a human being, he's trying to misguide him, and ultimately he kicks him to the can. Remember this? Do you ever see a prosperous witch? When was the last time you saw one of these... Um, like places where the palms are red, tarot cards, various witchcraft, and and that w whenever you see them, aren't they in some dinky little home, right? Right? They will never be successful. They're not. These witches and these palm readers, and the palm reading is, that's you're like minor league witch, right? You're, you're not even a strong witch, right? You're weak. You're not a serious sorcerer. You're just playing games. But you're all poor. 
And they're like, look at you. They all dress oddly. Now, David Blaine, Salman is looking up. This guy is a sorcerer. I think he's a, oh, he's a wizard, right? He's a sorcerer. I personally think the stuff that he does. Did you see his frog video? Oh, my gosh. Did you see the frog video? That's... Yeah, that's that's not sorcery. Yeah. That is just weirdness. You are so weird. He basically puts it in his throat and manages to how many how many how many frogs did he actually swallow in his stomach, in his stomach while practicing this? Now, now uh, why I say he's a he, why I say he's a demonic guy is because who gives you the idea like the motivation to keep trying to control frogs in your throat? Okay, here's another one that was really weird that david blaine did okay did you see the ring one where he takes the ring that you're wearing and then gives it back to you but connected literally like as if molded i don't know if that was as if molded to another did you see that one the guy has got some stuff i haven't seen that one but Here's the thing about this guy. The, the only reason that is, is n- not to worry about is that he does stuff that is sort of gross or irrelevant, mm-hmm. like staying up in the glass box for 40 days only drinking water. Mm-hmm. That's not even a big deal. There are places in Mexico that, because it's not legal in the United States, but they cure certain things like certain forms of diabetes by doing water fasts. It's not, a, it's not allowed to do this in the United States, so they go down to Mexico. Plus, they need to do it in a warm place because your body heat just, your body temperature just shrink, goes down. And, the, and people will go on a water fast for, for a day, then three days, then eat. Five days, then eat. Ten days, then eat. Then 40 days. Then they're sleeping like 19 hours a day, and they're covered in like 10 blankets. And, and, and so that's the, that, when he went up there, that's not an issue. Okay, that wasn't an issue. It's not a big deal to to not eat for forty days, but the stabbing stuff, the regurgitating frogs, the ring trick, that stuff, and the only reason that he's not much of a threat is that uh, this stuff is sort of gross. I'll tell you who's a threat: the people behind the music industry. These are all involved with demonic forces. I'm like guaranteed, and they are people who know how to put millions of people in a collective trance right it's a trance there's nothing less than that okay so look what did you find here on david blaine i don't know he has a lot of weird no the guy just does is tricks and stuff that he does he does weird things that's why it's not it's not something that yeah, that's just weird. That's just weird. Stayed underwater for seven days or something. The ice one? Stayed what? Stayed underwater for seven days and nights, it says. Uh, but what about the drinking? I mean, breathing and eating or drinking. Guy is weird. It is weird stunts, I guess. Yeah, there were some witches when the Taliban took over. There were some witches trying to send 
curses on the Taliban. And this witch out of New Jersey wrote some, you know, some comments somewhere. And they said, warning, do not try, you know, to send these spells on uh, against Allah. <laughs> she said, Allah is very strong. <laughs> I'm like, lady, you're not dealing with Allah. You are minor leagues. You're probably dealing with an angel who flicked you back, right? That's it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Professional. All right, what do we let's see what we we have here on YouTube. Related to the topic of extraterrestrials, are you aware of Ibn Abbas's tafsir? He mentions the hadith about the seven earths. Oh, yeah, but it's not something to go by. It's not something that we can establish. We can't make an established. I mean, it's interesting stuff, but we can't make an established uh, claim about it. And also, let me talk about this because I got sort of annoyed when I hear these things. Adam and Hawa were not created in the heavens. They were created on earth. Uh, no. No. Adam and Hawa lived in the heavens, and they were sent down to the heavens. And we have a hadith in which Prophet Musa met Sayyidina Adam in the heavenly realm of the Barzakh. And the Prophet ﷺ said that Musa said, you are the reason we're out of the heavens. Okay. And Adam ﷺ said, it was Allah's will. Okay. And uh, the Prophet ﷺ said, Adam defeated Musa in the, in the debate. Hajj Adam and Musa. So, Clearly, it was the paradise, or the heavens, we should say, because paradise is different from the heavens. Al-Jannah and As-Samawat, Al-Jinan is the plural of Jannah. And that is something, once you leave it, you never exit it, and it's meant for reward only. You have to earn it. But where Adam was created, where the angels are living, where the Isra and Mi'raj happened, these are the heavens. Now, what's similar to them is they're all perfect. Like they're absolutely perfect, all of them, okay? But what's different is that the paradise is the abode of reward. And heaven, the heavens are not abodes of rewards. They're different angels live there. And these worlds are massive. So much so the Prophet ﷺ said, each one to the next is like throwing a ring in the desert, okay? And it's interesting why the Prophet ﷺ used the word, we used a ring, Something round. Why not a date pit? Right? Allah knows best about that. Maybe some people contemplated that. Um, continuing from this, the Prophet ﷺ affirmed, therefore, that they were created in the heavens and came down. How about Allah saying, All of you, three of you, Adam, Hawa, Iblis, leave it. And they come down to earth. So what are the, the, the Muslim evolutionists, which I don't think you're a Muslim at that point. I personally hold the, the position that Sheikh Nuh holds that the evolutionist is out of Islam. 
It's like Daruri knowledge that Allah created Adam directly. But the evolutionists and some of those who try to uh, weld these two opposing doctrines and beliefs, uh, they say that I go down from it was a hill that they were on a hill right so go down from it so is that a big deal like to be to be on a hill is that a big deal there are a lot of hills on the earth right so then why wouldn't they just go back up right uh, it's it's a it's a long shot so that's one of those mistakes that a lot of people make all the time is that if the, the, not a lot of people, but the Muslim evolutionists who are trying to, to justify this stuff, they try to say that Adam and Hawat were created on the earth. Yes, Adam was created from the soil of the earth. Not on the earth, though. He was created in the heavens. Okay, How then did, uh, did, did he speak to the angels? How then did Adam speak to the Mala'ika? The Mala'ika came down here? No. Listen to this. Saudi Arabia has been fighting witchcraft. A special unit of religious police pursues magical crime aggressively. This special unit, Soheb, Fictional Frontiers, are you listening? This is for you. Is this not a show? What's the show that, you know, the, these crime shows, right? The Ghostbusters? Or? There's, all, there's, like, there's, a, there's a crime show about mass murderers. That used to be on, right? And it was like, you get the profile of the criminal minds. criminal minds, right? This is it, right? This is the crime unit here. Is this not an awesome crime unit? Hey, so hey, tag him. Get him on. Let, let him listen to this. This is an amazing show, right? A special unit. This crime unit is awesome, okay? All they do is go around finding witchcraft let's read this from the atlantic hopefully they're not going to cut us off because atlantic is, is is always good writing okay for opening line the sorceress was naked oh they got to make it racy right they got to make it racy the sight of her bare flesh startled the prudish officers of saudi arabia's infamous religious police prudish how about hayat they have hayat you are the one who is lewd and you are a profligate person. If you think that, oh, seeing a naked woman, just oh, no big deal. That's more on you than them there. So always got to look at the language of these people. So this committee for the promotion of virtue and prevention of vice, the CPVPV, which has barged into her room in what was supposed to be a routine raid of a magical hideout in the western desert city of Medina's Asiyah neighborhood. Ooh, in Medina al-Manawara. They paused in shock and let her put her clothes on. The woman, still unclothed, remember they love nakedness, managed to slip out of the window of her apartment and flee. So, hey, people are going to be hooked. You got to blur her out, though, right? Okay. The, the, what a scene. This is the opening scene. They barged into her house. On a raid of a magician, they see a naked woman there. Okay, astaghfirullah, not to keep talking about this, but by standards of like Netflix standards, this is a top notch stuff, right? And then they turn their head to let her dress. And in the meantime, she, first of all, you're not that really that great, cops. 
to turn your head, and there's a window right there. So she slips out of the window, and she flees. There begins the mystery, right? We had her in our uh, our grip and our grasp, and she fled out the window. According to the 2006 account of the Saudi Okav newspaper, Okay, which is a, a tribute is similar to the New York Post. She flew like a bird. A frantic pursuit ensued. The unit found their suspect after she fell through an unsturdy roof. So she was going from rooftop to rooftop. One rooftop was weak. She fell and went onto the ground next to a bed of a dozing children. It's a movie. Okay. They covered her body, arrested her, and claimed to uncover key evidence indicating that witchcraft had indeed been practiced, including incense, talismans, and videos about magic. In, the, in a report by the journal Al Arabiya, a senior Islamic cleric lamented that the incident had occurred in a city of such sacred history. The Prophet Muhammad is buried here, and is considered the, sec- this is the second most holy location in Islam, second to Mecca. Don't say this in front of Omar ibn Khattab, he'll hit you. He said, I hit anyone who... Um, says that anything's better than Medina. Okay. The cleric didn't doubt the details of the incident. Some magicians may ride a broom and fly in the air with the help of jinn. I don't know about riding on a broom. I think that's... Is that a... Th- that Well, it's fiction, right? But where did they get the fiction? Did they get the fiction from some truth? Or has the fiction spread so widely that it's said it settled in people's minds? The fate of, his sor- of this sorceress is not readily apparent, but her plight is common. Wait a second. Her situation is called a plight? Like she's some innocent angel? She's doing sad on people. I'm telling you the language of these articles is driving me nuts. A plight. And they're going to turn it into some kind of uh, oppression thing here. Plight. Judging from the punishments of others accused of practicing witchcraft in Saudi Arabia before and since the consequences were almost certainly severe. Let me tell you something about this author. Let's see who the author is. Ryan Jacobs, Ryan Jacobs. If you're going to be a writer and stuff, try not to make it so obvious where your leanings are, right? Like just take some of these adjectives out and put something that's more, because back in the day that, that the, a good journalist, you don't know what his opinion was, right? Just say the, the police turned away. That's a fact. Don't say prudish officers turned away. And, and don't call it a plight because a plight has a connotation, right? The fate of this sorcerer is not readily apparent, but such cases are common. Not her plight is common, like she's some oppressed minority. Same with the other one, calling a rebellion an independence cause. Okay, Judging from the punishments of others and uh, accused of practicing witchcraft in Saudi Arabia, the consequences are always severe. In 2007, Egyptian pharmacist Mustafa Ibrahim was beheaded in Riyadh after his conviction on charges of practicing magic and sorcery and adultery and desecrating the Holy Quran. Oh, he's lucky that's all he got. Okay. The charges of magic and sorcery are not euphemisms for some other kind of egregious crimes. They alone were enough to qualify him for a death sentence. He first came to the attention of the religious authorities 
when members of a mosque in the northern town of Arar voiced concerns over the placement of the holy book in the restroom. After being accused of disrupting a man's marriage through spells and the discovery of books on black magic, candles with incantations to summon devils, and foul-smelling herbs, all these are the signs. The case, and eventually his life, were swallowed by the black hole of the discretionary court system. Ryan Jacobs, author here. Try to, you know, work on your adjectives a little bit so we don't know your position. It's too obvious. You're way too obvious, right? Um, The black hole of a discretionary system, or how about that's the law that everybody knows, right? How about that's the law? And he was treated justly by that law. You wanna you don't like the law, that's a whole nother discussion. Why do we why would we you know that's the law. If you don't like the law, that's a whole nother discussion. But for you to call it discretionary black hole, the campaign of persecution has shown no persecution. Campaign of persecution. How about that's the law? You're not allowed to do sorcery. Campaign of persecution. This guy. But I mean he did the research, so we gotta read the article. Because no one else did the research. He's the one who went there and, and, read, and did the research. In May, two Asian maids were sentenced to a thousand lashings and 10 years in jail after their bosses claimed that they had suffered from their magic. Just a few weeks ago, Saudi newspaper began running the image of an Indonesian maid being pursued on accusations that she produced a spell that made her male boss's family subject to fainting and epileptic fits. I swear that we do not want to hurt her, but to stop her evil acts against us. Okay. Interesting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Falaq mentions the female witches, whereas males could also be sorcerers. But the tafasir say the majority of black magic is done by women. Women are more adept at black magic than men. Hence, Allah calls it whereas theft, for example, stealing stuff, men are more likely to be thieves, right? And that's why Allah says, the male than the female. So certain certain crimes have a propensity where it, when it comes to sorcery, there's majority will be more, will be female. When it comes to something like theft, majority will be male. Okay. And that's the book of Allah. So uh, it's not something that we're going to say is a, just a, a rash or a, uh, a generalization made by us. According to Adam Kugel, a Jordan-based Middle East researcher for Human Rights Watch who monitors Saudi Arabia, the relentless witch hunts reveal the hollowness of the country's longstanding promises about liberalizing its justice system. These people are just taking their own ideas of what's good and bad and cutting and pasting it. You guys, your thought is extreme. You're the one who's actually really shallow. Your thoughts are really, your ideas are really shallow. Saudi justice system, say what you want about Saudi. It's not based upon your ideals. And this, this article is a couple of years ago, but it's not based on your, it's nothing changed. It's not based on your ideals. In a country where public observance of any religion besides Islam is sexually forbidden. Okay, this article is becoming stupid, to be honest with you. It's becoming completely uh, just like a liberal slant on everything. All right. 
Ryan Jacobs is the is the author here. This the Saudi government's obsession with criminal obsession. All right, look at these words. I mean, you guys are. I mean, you went and did research. I'm waiting for more stories here. Okay, that's what we want to deal with. Okay, Sheikh Adil Al Faqih told the Saudi Gazette. The only good thing, by the way, from this guy is what he quotes from the Saudi newspapers. Is this even original research? You went and got some Saudi newspapers, sat with a local, and got the translation and wrote the Atlantic article. I mean, that's all it is. Every time he says something original, it's from a Saudi newspaper. Now he's quoting from the Saudi Gazette. Sheikh Adil Al-Faqih says, we deal with sorcerers in a specific way. No one should think that... As soon as the name is mentioned of whoever files a report, we go and arrest them. In other words, he's saying there is a process here. In 2009, 118 people were charged with practicing black magic or using the book of Allah in a derogatory manner Okay, in Mecca. Faqih also claims that the process of arresting someone for crimes of magic involved more than just receiving a tip. Right? Yeah, because that's hearsay. A tip of someone's doing, he's doing something, that's just hearsay. We need evidence. A, form, a formal investigation would be pursued and information must be collected before an arrest can be made. What sort of information do they need? The answer was unsurprisingly vague and innocuous. The suspect sought, if the suspect sought to purchase an animal with certain features, he asked for a sheep to be killed without mentioning Allah's name and asked to stain the body with the animal's blood. Asked for unusual things like this. All right, the unit had created a total of. I mean, it's not that hard to see the signs of witchcraft when you enter a room, right? It's not hard to see the signs of witchcraft, dirtiness, amulets, incantations, upside down, sacred texts, things like that. These are common. Also, combined with complaints and accusations, right? You could, you could see the effects of witchcraft on a person. By 2011, the unit had created a total of nine witchcraft fighting bureaus in cities across the country. That's a lot of episodes, right? Nine different bureaus. That's nine different casts. Okay? And according to Arab News, again, another or newspaper that he's citing, that's all this guy did, uh, they had achieved remarkable success. He goes quote mining for whatever you know he thinks is going to be sensational they processed 586 cases oh my goodness if sohaib could go there right and buy some nice gifts and get those files right that is a gold mine okay the majority of which were foreign domestic workers from africa and indonesia then last year oh he's trying to make it a minorities thing right the la then last year, the government announced that it was expanding its battle against magic further. Right. The move would mean new training courses for its agents. Criminal Minds. What's the, what's the bureau that they go study in? Uh, they go to Quantico, and they study like this, the, the psychi psychology of killers and stuff like that. The unsubs, yes. <laughs> A more powerful infrastructure is being built. Okay. They booked 215 sorcerers in 2012. The most aggressive pursuit of witches tends to be in the interior of the Arabian Peninsula. Okay. 
that hosts the capital city, Riyadh, and many of the most dedicated followers of Salafism, the ultra-conservative school of Sunni Islam. You had to pull that in while, the, while it's completely irrelevant to the case. Resting in the country's criminal pro- proceedings from the grip of one of the strictest strains of Islam. Psh, more adjectives from this guy. The, he, has he left any, like, uh, recurring adjective? You know these things? Has he left a single one? If there was a, a, a dictionary of, you know, like tropes, repeatedly used adjectives about Islam and Muslims, this guy's used all of them. Right. Wrestling the country's criminal proceedings from the grip of the strictest strain of Islam would involve more than just development of a more progressive outlook. It would re- require cosmic revisions in Saudi history and religious identity. Okay. AI could have wrote this if you just chat GPT. Give me a liberal-based article with every single catchword. You need to use three catchwords per paragraph about Saudi. I'm not even a big fan of everything that goes on in Saudi Arabia, but we have to have some insof here. The Saudi government and many of its citizens subscribe to the 18th century teaching of Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab. What? How is this relevant? Okay, because it's not like this is a Wahhabi act, taking down sorcerers and witchcraft and believing in it, that it exists, right? We believe that it ex- it exists. Al-Shafi'i and Malik and Abu Hanifa, they all discussed when is witchcraft, when is sorcery punishable by lashes and when is it punishable by death? And they said, insofar as what you utter and what you're saying and what you're writing is outside of Islam, but it's not directly um, desecrating a verse, right? Or calling upon Iblis, okay? Then it's punishable. Like if you're just saying hocus pocus and stuff, but you're not reversing the Quran, which is sometimes they do, calling upon some demon, you haven't made kufr, so you're just punished. But insofar as your witchcraft involves the alteration of the Quran, okay, that's kufr. It's punishable by death. So what are they judging you on? They're judging on your words that you're spreading in the community. Because the unseen of the effect is not something that we could see. We could all know that this guy is doing spells on us, but we can never prove it. And our knowledge is going to be like a high degree of speculation. Maximum, maximum, maximum. Okay. According to historian Vladimir Borisovich Lutsky, Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab sharply criticized superstitious survivals of, and fetishisms and totemism, which to him were indistinguishable from idolatry. Formerly, all the Arabs were Muslims, but in reality, there existed many local tribal religions in Arabia. Each Arab tribe, each village had a fetish, it's had a belief, had a right. The variety of religious forms that stemmed from the primitive level of social development and lack of cohesion between the countries of Arabia were serious obstacles to political unity. Abdul Wahab set up against this religious polymorphism, a single doctrine called Tawheed. Oh, he created Tawheed now. Now, That's what happens when you go to a Russian, okay, 
for knowledge about what Muhammad Abdul Wahab did. Now, here's something I'm actually interested in. Maybe we can get somebody who knows about this. Was it actually true that tribes in Central Arabia had deviated to that degree? In which case, there may be like a sympathetic view towards towards him, right? Where he's saying, listen, all this is kufr and shirk. But the problem is the extension of that now outside those tribes to regular Muslims. The Wahhabis fought against the survivals of local tribal cults. They destroyed the tomb of sa- tombs of saints and forbade magic fortune-telling. But at the same time, their teachings were directed against official Islam. Under Wahhabi doctrine, magic is seen as a serious affront to the pure and exclusive relationship one is supposed to share with Allah. But that's also all of Sunni doctrine and probably Shiite doctrine too. But belief in the supernatural magic is actually quite common in Muslim culture. Well, that doesn't make it right. The, according to the Quran, the jinn and demonic supernatural beings. Listen, we don't need his lecture on Islam here. Just report to us what's going on in Saudi and stop giving this lecture. Okay, Some believe that jinn have the power to cause harm. It's not uncommon for the possessed to visit faith healers. According to the Pew Research Center, Pew has always got to make an appearance, in most of the countries surveyed, roughly half or more Muslims affirm that jinn exist. And evil eyes. But then the other half are not Muslim then, right? The other half left Islam then, right? Min al-jinnati wa nas. So clearly jinn is a corollary to nas, right? Belief in sorcery is somewhat less common. Yeah. Belief in sorcery, Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal said, is the, it's, it's uh, mutawatir. Ahmed ibn Hanbal himself, his son asked him, is jinn possession real? Forget sorcery. Jinn possession. Is possession real? And he said, yes. No one can deny that it's real. He says a jinn enters into a person, and you see this person speaking different languages, different voice, having great strength, and being able to move their joints in ways that are abnormal. Right? So the son said, uh, Imam Ahmed said this to his, to his, uh, his, his son. Okay. So it is, it is a knowledge that, or it is a, a claim that's based upon uh, observation. Okay. As for shaitan touching a person or whispering to a person, that's in the Quran. But entering into the person, okay, is from a hadith. Inna shaitan yajri fibn adam majraddam. A shaitan can flow in the human being through the veins, Majraddam being in his veins, okay? And this does not necessitate possession, but it may include possession, all right? The hadith of shaitan flowing in the blood of a person may mean angering him, okay? Angering the person, inspiring them to a rage, and it may include possession, Accusation of jinn worship and witchcraft once even touched the administration of former Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad when his advisors and aides were arrested on charges of black magic. Ahmadinejad denied the charges, but a sorcerer well known among the ruling class claimed that he met with the president at least twice and gathered intelligence for him on jinn who worked for Israel's intelligence agency, the Mossad, for the U.S. CIA season finale right there that's the season finale right president iranian president okay meets 
with Intel agent who tells him about the jinn who work for the Mossad and the CIA, according to the Wall Street. Is this not the season finale right there? Bro, that's a one that's a two hour season finale. Okay. Season one, two hour season finale. Because now we're at the level of presidents. Now, once you bring the Mossad and the CIA, that's that, that uh, this episode's going through the roof. Right? Why? Actual news of Pakistan. Is Ron Khan's ex-wife did black magic? It's cra- actual like national news. They're talking wow. about black magic. It's crazy. That his ex- blaming politicians for black magic. That who did it on who? Uh, Imran Khan's wife did it on the other politicians so he would win on national TV. My gosh, maybe how about that he was immensely popular? How about that as a reason for his victory? Wow. According to the Pew survey, the majority of Muslims agree that Islam restricts making contact with jinn on using magic. What, why does he, why do they care? See, this is the thing. They don't actually have, understand like there's a source and a doctrine. They just go by what Muslims believe. This is the anthropological view, right? The anthrop- anthropological view of religion is that the religion is what its people say it is. No, it's not. It is what the sources say, say it is. Right, there are sources of every religion. Like America is not what Americans say it is; it's what the Constitution, American law, for example, is not what Americans say it is. It's what the Constitution says. Right, the New Jersey law on driving is not what I think it is or want it to be. It's what the manual, the driving code, says. Right, so the the author keeps going to these Pew surveys, which we could care less about. I mean, these few surveys on Muslims, there is a billion people. How did you do this uh, survey, right? How did you do this survey? So majority of Muslims agree that Islam restricts making contact with jinn or using magic. But Wahhabism is particularly opposed to this notion. You cannot use Wahhabism as a pinata for everything, right? Not everything, because we also believe this too what they're saying Muhammad Hussein Ibrahim analyzes the sect based on some verses of the Quran Sheikh Muhammad Ibn Abdul Wahab Ibn Taymiyyah and the contemporary Wahhabis I think he got his timeline off there Muhammad Abdul Wahab comma Ibn Taymiyyah and contemporary Wahhabis your timeline's way off Ibn Taymiyyah is way ahead of them um regards seeking help from other than God or asking for their intercession as an act of polytheism their main proof is the phrase other than God in Surah Yunus verse 18. The Wahhabis regard the prophets, saints, idols, the jinn, and the dead as the most vivid manifestation of this verse. This might explain why Saudis, many of whom are devout Wahhabi practitioners, are so fierce when it comes to the pursuit of witches. Actually, that's not the case at all about regular Saudis. They're not. The courts are controlled by judges who have ultimate latitude to interpret and define. Okay. You know what? You actually would have done a, had a better article if you went and got some case files. Instead of this, you know, sophomoric, repetitive bashing on the Wahhabis. Okay. The ability to defend against the charges seems to depend on the caprice of the particular judge assigned to the case really so did you actually look at case files to know to just determine that 
It's based upon Caprice. In 2006, case of Fauza Faleh, who was sentenced to death on charges of witchcraft, recourse to jinn, and slaughters of animal. Slaughter of animals. She was provided no opportunity to question the testimony of her witness. Was barred from the room when evidence was presented. Okay, so he's bringing something at least. And her legal representation was not permitted to enter court. Okay. She died in prison as a result of poor health. Okay, so he bought something there. The police can also use questionable tactics. In 2008, a well-known Lebanese television personality, Ali Sibat, who made a living by telling callers fortunes and instructing them on superstitious matters, was lured in an undercover sting operation while making a religious pilgrimage to Mecca. So now we have sting operations involved. More content for Sohaib and Fictional Frontiers. You need a good writer, though. And, and you need research. You need research files. It doesn't have to be true, but the truth also in, sort of inspires a lot of I think I have some competition now. Who? Uh, Suhaib. Where is Suhaib? What is, who is the competition? Huh? Netflix ordered its first uh, Arabic series on Jinn. Where? Back in 2019. Oh, shoot. Netflix ordered its first Arabic series on Jinn. Did it fail? Because yeah. it's 2018. Yeah. Because we know when they tried to do something on the Mahdi, that totally failed. That lasted one season. You remember that? The Mahdi one? Oh, yeah, that show. The Messiah? <laughs> Which they try to like sort of like uh, mesh all the different Masanic uh, narratives together. According to the New York Times, he was arrested shortly after the police recorded conversations he had about providing a magical elixir to a woman that would force her husband to separate from her, his second wife. His death sentence was later stayed after outcry from international human rights organizations. That's a great episode, separating between husband and wife. And Belief in magic is so widespread that is often invoked as a defense in Sharia courts. If there's an employer dispute, say the migrant d- domestic worker claims she wasn't paid her wages or her conditions are unlivable, a lot of times what happens, unfortunately, the defendant makes counterclaims against the domestic worker. A lot of times they'll make counterclaims of sorcery. Domestic workers, many of whom are not fluent in Arabic, face significant challenges in defending themselves against these charges. Okay. Sometimes he says they don't even know what's happening. I think that there are cases where the authorities will provide translation, but I'm told the translation isn't always available. Well, that's not good. Even then, they must face a religious cleric who serves simultaneously as a judge and a prosecutor and can often introduce new charges or modify the old ones. When you have a situation that's so arbitrary and left to discretion of a judge, women without the means to defend themselves can sort of be left alone. Okay. Wow. You know what I want to see? I want to see how far this article got. How many comments it got because oh, there's no comments here. But he is a former producer for the Atlantic.com. So he's no longer with them, this author.
All right. Why paganism and witchcraft are making a comeback? By who? NBC. All right. On a recent trip to Salem, Massachusetts, I overheard the same question. Is magic really real? The answer is yes. My concern with this is that it's going to like pave the road to some kind of idolatry and, and devil worship. That's essentially what all this stuff is. And that's, I've said it a long time ago. Atheism is merely a step, a stepping stone on the way to bringing back full-blown idolatry and paganism. Okay. Two weeks ago, in the run-up to Halloween, this is recent, I visited Salem, Massachusetts. This is last Halloween. For the first time since the pandemic, renewing my annual Halloween pilgrimage, I was bowled over by what I found in the witch city. Bigger crowds, longer lines, and wider welcome array of merchandise geared toward many different religious traditions and ethnic identities. Okay. Amid the curious crowds in black capes and conical hats, bags overflowing with DIY spell kits, candles to enhance prosperity, I overheard the same question. Is magic real? For me, the answer is yes. I am one of a million plus Americans who, whether proudly, secretly, or dabbling through the power of consumerism, practice some form of witchcraft. Witchcraft, which includes Wicca, paganism, folk magic, other New Age traditions, is one of the fastest growing spiritual paths in America. It is a spiritual path, but the spirit, the path of darkness. In 1990, Trinity College in Connecticut estimated... I worked there, by the way. Estimated that the, uh, Trinity College is where people go. Like, if you don't get into Yale if, and you're in Massachusetts, you don't get into Yale, you go to Trinity. Okay. You don't get into one of the Ivy League schools, or you, and, but you're rich, you go to Trinity. In 2008, the U.S. Census Bureau figure was 342,000 people are involved in this stuff. Okay, Pew Research Center, I told you, they got to make it into anyone who wants to make them their, their article look, uh, you know, credible. You just need to quote a Pew Research Center study. You, you, want, you want, here's another one, you just want your article to sound credible? Throw Pew in there. Increase that projection several times over in an assessing 0.4% of Americans identified as pagans. You know what else? Make sure that your statistic is an odd number. Like not half, 5%, 10%, no. 1.3%, 7.9%, right? Makes your article seem a lot more credible. I'm telling you, these things are tricks. You know, and, and everything has tricks, okay? Fuqaha have tricks too. You know, if a person wants to sound educated, all you have to do is say, well, there are two different opinions, right? Just say something like that. Just drop that, right? Uh, in, in food, restaurants, they have their own tricks to cover up bad food, right? The meat's not that fresh, cover it in sauce. Uh, also, anytime that you get a, a dish where the chicken or the meat is cut up into very small pieces, that's old food. No one takes a nice, fresh cut of meat and cuts it up like that. Right, it's old food. Anything that the pasta is any anything where pasta is not served as pasta, like pasta salad, leftovers. Sunday brunch, leftovers from Saturday night dinner, just rework the pasta into a pasta salad. Right, rework something into an egg uh, into a chicken salad. 
that's a chicken of Saturday that didn't get sold, right? It's the tricks. Every every trade has tricks like this. So writing articles also has tricks. Throw pew in there, throw an odd number percentage with decimal points, and everyone will be like, wow, this is researched. By 2050, Pew said, the number of Americans practicing other religions besides Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism would triple. Wicca and pagan would become actual faiths. The precise number of witches in America is difficult to determine. But it is increasing. Excuse me. Wicca began to be practiced in America in the 1960s by feminists. Environmentalists soon followed. And those seeking non-structured spirituality. It was a largely underground movement. By the way, let me just say something. Discipline leads to freedom. Structure leads to freedom. Okay, Anyone who contrasts between structured discipline and rules versus free-flowing and freedom is making a big mistake. Because when you're disciplined, when you had a set of rules, when you have a structure, you produce results that allow you far more greater freedom. So if every single check that I earn, I put in 5% of that check into a separate bank account, okay? That's disciplined spending, right? But guess what? After a year, I now have the freedom to spend that amount of money. Whereas if I'm like, let's be free-flowing and not think and not have rules and not do these, all of a sudden you're out of money, right? So the this is one of these big myths the more structured you are, the more disciplined you are, the more um, you follow the, the own set of rules that you aspire to, you agree to, right? The more freedom you will have in the future. Who has more freedom? The one who's disciplined and structured about sleeping early and running in the morning. Sleep early, hit the treadmill every morning, right? That person will have a lot more freedom when they're physically fit, right? Later on in life. They'll have the freedom to go on trips, to go on hikes, whereas somebody who doesn't have that physical fitness will not. So it's, it's a big sort of um, mental mistake to contrast discipline and structure with freedom. Okay. <clears throat> then commercial books started to follow in the 80s of ni- and 90s. Okay. And then the online world took off with all this witchcraft and stuff. Okay. The religion is purely individualistic. All right. You could do your own thing. There is no community practice in this Wiccan and pagan world. There is no institution. You're not agreeing to any set of actions or beliefs that you have to adhere to. So it's just whims then, I guess. I myself grew up with Italian folk magic passed down from generations of practitioners who melded pagan customs with Roman Catholicism. And in the, in South America and Central America, this is known as uh, Santeria. All right, this kind of syncretism is not uncommon in witchcraft today, mixing between things. And we, we know this with the Sufis. In Africa, in many of these countries, okay, they um, molded between these religions, their religion and and witchcraft. For example, they petitioned the archangel Michael for protection, but also recite a prayer, all right, of wine, bay leaves, and cloves, which is from the uh, 
pagan tradition. Okay, just because you do something, what does that mean, right? So I do it. Okay, big deal. So you do it. It's a big deal. In petition, uh, so I venerate Catholic saints. I light candles also to the goddess Diana on the full moon. Okay, so you do it. What does that mean? Is, how, so who cares if you do it? Does Is it real? Sometimes my magic is as simple as reciting old ne, ne, neo, Neapolitan incantations over a glass of wine to strengthen the love between two people. This person's in their imagination, man. So you do it. Big deal if you do it. I'm not reading the rest of this article. I do this and I do that. Forget, forget this. Why is NBC, 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 why is NBC publishing this nonsense? This is on, that was on NBC's website. Boko Haram kills over 20 witches last year. So this is a thing now. Kalas, enough with the witches. Now, we can't possibly have a Wednesday affairs of the Ummah without a story on your beloved Imran Khan. Okay. I'm with Imran Khan. He's formally challenged his jailing and conviction. I'm just going to read this really quick because he says that I will not bow come what may. Khan here, with his Hollywood hair flowing back as he goes into jail, was sentenced to three years in prison, okay, by declaring, by failing to declare a foreign gift. It's such a fraud, this case. All right. He basically is just saying that I'm not bowing down, I'm fighting this. That's the summary of the whole article. Otherwise, we read this about the case before, right? We read about the case before. It's an absurd case against him. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's go to your comments and questions. Hey, Sunman, you read me what's on Instagram. Somebody asked, uh, what was that Jin article about and why was it important? Sorry, I'm new to the stream. Every Wednesday we read the affairs of the Ummah, and the affairs of the Ummah led from one thing to another, which was the first thing we read was what? Uh, Bangladesh and Pakistan, because a major figure in the Islamic movement of Bangladesh passed away, so we read an article about him. We then shift over to uh, the next news story, was that Afghanistan had arrested a number of people on witchcraft, that led to another story about Saudi. They have a whole crime unit that fights witchcraft, which led to another story on witchcraft in America. So we just got a little update on the world of the advancement of witchcraft in the world. And I'm telling you, the reason I'm saying this is because the Dajjadic world is not an atheist world, right? They are with the spiritual dark side. They're not atheists. Right? The Dajjad will not be followed by empiricists and materialists. They will be followed by these witches and devil worship. Because if you look at what the prophet says about the Dajjad, he is worshipped. He is treated as a prophet. 
atheists, modernists, empiricists, they don't do those things. They don't elevate people like that. Okay. And so that's why we get keep your our head open and our eyes open, I should say, uh, for for the development of this, the advancement of this, because that's truly where things are going. Okay? They're going in that direction, the direction of like the unseen and the, the dark side of the spiritual world. Okay. Question and answer starts here. First of all, check out our Instagram page as our, not a rebrand, but a tweak. It is a rebrand, but not a full rebrand. Like, not changing the name and the logo, but we are tweaking some things and improving some things. So check out the Instagram channel. You know what we need to, to, to tweak, son, man? The branding of the clips, the video clips, to match Noah's branding, right? How should Muslims in India deal with sectarianism and Shia Sunni while they are both under oppression from the BJP. I really cannot tell you. I, I think that uh, um, I think that the scholars of India should should address that. Uh, go to the Safina Society Instagram, Instagram.com slash Safina Society. And we only got a couple posts up, but they're looking really nice. Okay, so like them and share them and spread this podcast or live stream and spread these little wisdoms and benefits that we're sharing on the Instagram page. Can you be a Muslim and a black magician? No, you cannot be a Muslim and a black magician because black magic implies shirk, calling upon demons and devils. There is a type of magic, okay, um, there is a type of magic that uses Muslim jinn, and that is a major sin. And they will get a murid, and there's a sister there asking about different tariqas in Morocco. Some of them use this. They use a book, and they get Muslim jinn to make you obsessed with the sheikh and to show you what may look like a miracle, such as the name of Allah or lights flying around and... And that it'll happen the first time you start doing the dhikr from that sheikh. Right? That is usually a sign that they're using jinn to recruit people. And to really almost brainwash them. All right? And so you have to be careful. What are the telltale signs of that? An obsession with the sheikh that goes from 0-60. Within two, three weeks, this person has no life except the sheikh. Within a month or so, he's sold his house, he's sold his business, he's changed his life around, and he's marrying someone because the sheikh said to him to do so. This is all a sign that this sheikh is doing something funny. That's not the normal way of Islamic tarbiyah, prophetic tarbiyah. Prophetic tarbiyah and having a sheikh, yes, that's all fine and good. But how? What are the signs of that? The right way and the true sign of something is that it's slow, steady, and it never strips you of your agency, divides you from your family, and people should not ever accuse you of being someone obsessed with the sheikh. People love their sheikh so much, there's not, that's nothing wrong with that. But that love should not appear to be odd in front of the people such that, 
I can't I can't even go to a restaurant unless I ask the sheikh first. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave my job because the sheikh said so. That's not not in this world, because there is some called tahkim. Imam al Haddad talks about it, and that basically is that your sheikh becomes almost like a father figure and guides you through life. But in that world, it was the old village, and the sheikh is probably your uncle or your distant relative. Everyone trusts everyone in multiple ways, not just in Islam. There are multiple bases for the trust that existed in the world of tahkim. Tahkim meaning that, halas, you submit yourself. Whatever the sheikh tells you, you do, you do it. But that was a way that, that was a different world. Okay, In our world today, it just wouldn't be acceptable in our orf that all of a sudden you actually have no mind of your own. All right, so that may be an extreme, but what we're talking about, the use of jinn is when that's like on steroids, where within three, four weeks, all you are is obsessed with the sheikh and you have a irrational, you know, action. You know, you're, the way you live is now irrational. And you know who could tell you about that? Abdulaziz Suraq. He could tell you about that. Does Safina Saidi have a TikTok? Says Lam Sikh. Do we have a TikTok? And is it up and running, Salman? Uh, it's being worked on. It's being worked on. It's being worked on. What's the ruling on Ilm al Huruf? I really don't know about it. The Malikia don't really go by that. But some of the Shafi'iya, Sheikh Asrar, wrote about it. And it's a knowledge that each letter of the Quran has a certain effect. And so Allah knows best. I don't know anything about it. Except that Sheikh Asrar has a video on it. But I know that the Malikiyah dismiss it. I, re- I think it was, I don't want to say Qarafi, but I did see some quotes of Malikis just dismissing it. Ilm al-Huruf has to do with, it has to do with that and it ends up th- that they make these charts. So... How do you teach youth and kids Aqidah? When they are still in fitra and have no doubts. You don't need to teach that technical kalami aqidah. You need to teach the attributes of Allah. Ar-Razzaq. Okay. The one who is the immense vastness of Allah's creation. That there is no end to it. Uh, 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 there is no end to his generosity, I should say. Of course, the creation will always have an end, but there's no end to his generosity. You teach the attributes that Allah knows and we don't know. That Allah's knowledge, his, its superiority over ours. Allah's control of all things. Good things happen, bad things happen. Allah's in control of all this as a test for us. Okay, So you teach that side of Aqidah or you teach the description of the Akhirah or the description of angels, or the biographies of prophets. What's so funny? All that is aqidah. (laughs) Should we get Muhammad Hijab on the program, everybody? Yes or no? So let's invite him then, inshallah. Okay. How does Safina Society plan on growing their social media presence, says Bully McGuire. Well, we got the man right there, Salman. And there is now a team that we need to actually, um, we are going to get going, inshallah ta'ala. 
with uh, from Instagram to YouTube to TikTok to all these other things. Good. What about some activities to do in class with eight to thirteen year olds? Fun and also educational. One of the best things that we did was that give a class and play Kahoot. You guys remember that from COVID times? Kids, you learn a lot from Kahoot too. Like last Eid party, we had a Kahoot for the community. And it was everything related to Hajj. And right after every answer, the host like gave a little blurb on what's the correct answer and why. Right? So so these quiz games are the best. Okay. Some dude did an aura reading for me and told me about chakras. Is it haram? It, it can't say it's haram, but it's pseudoscience. Pseudoscience is something that is, it can't truly objectively be said to be true, right? Unlike someone says, hey, your, your blood pressure is high, right? That's a fact. But, or someone, but anyone tells you your personality type is this, all right, that's just your observation. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Chakras, auras, these things are just like unseen to us, cannot be empirically proven as a science, are not transmitted from a religious source. So what is the source of their certainty in that, right? What's the source of certainty? You know, the people who fail in life, personally speaking, they fail in life in anything objective. They fail at attaining any objective measure, right, of anything. Like pass an exam. Get good numbers on something. Like in a, or make sales. Uh, objective measures is not just examinations. Make sales. Start a business and make money, right? Uh, produce a product for the people that the people would be happy to use or a service for people. When they fail at all that, they go to these this world that does not have a set right and wrong. Right? And this to me is one of them. There's not a clear right or wrong. It's just a pure belief. Am I right or wrong about that, uh, Sama? What do you think? About? The, p- the people who... <laughs> the people who, are, who, who fail at anything objective in life. Like, buying and selling, it's objective. I bought and I sold. I made money. Or... passing an exam, uh, IT certification or whatever, then get a job. Like people who fail at that objective stuff in life, they tend to then have to turn to something that's not objective where they can never be wrong. Auras and chakras, it's just about belief and your spin and your charisma in convincing somebody that that's the case, right? That's, That's my take on these aura and chakra people. I had an Egyptian asking me the other day, he works in the masjid, and he says, tell me, is Shakira haram? I said, what are you listening to, <laughs> right? And he said, no, 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 my, my relatives in Egypt are now telling, we have to check your Shakira. I was like, no, it's called chakra, <laughs> right? And I said, no, it's just a, it's, it's a belief. There is, where, where is the empirical evidence for this, for me to believe that it's a scientific Thing. like, But I'm not saying it's haram to believe it. But you can't speak as if it's a fact. It's not a fact. This stuff is not, can, cannot be considered like a fact. Okay. What's the mashur opinion of Maliki on tobacco, says Stephen Chudri? 
Forbidden. Absolutely forbidden to consume. El Saracino is going to Umrah, mashallah. So always busy your time staying physically in the Prophet's mosque or in Haram as much as you can. Physically staying there. Tawaf is the greatest act of worship you can do in Mecca. Being near the Rauda is the greatest act you can do in Medina. Question. Do Ash'aris believe that God has the attribute of being the creator and the merciful before the world was created? Yes. Some laymen told me he was not the creator before creating. No. They didn't, they, it's the exact opposite. And this is not limited to Ash'ari. This is Tahawi. He had all of these attributes before he created. And it means for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he possesses the ability to create. Whereas unlike us humans, you're only an artist after you produce art. Okay. You're only a chef after you get hired at a restaurant and cook. You're only a winner after you win something. But with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his attributes are intrinsic to him. Not, They're not attributed to him after uh, an event. Should have the layman ashadis join ArcView. Layman ashadis come take Sheikh Murad's class on ArcView Basic. Okay, Sign up to ArcView.org. Very soon we're going to have a revamp and a, a really beautiful website for arcview.org that's going to explain the four tracks that we're doing. Please explain the concept of annihilation, fanat for sheikh. It means you love him so much, all you see, that you just see the world through him. And you care more what he thinks than what you think. Cat Muslim wants the old crew back. Ilyas, Naz, Mu'in. Yeah, we can do one, inshallah. What, what do they do in Khalwa? Niqabi is asking. Khalwa? Oh, you can do Khalwa, by the way, but in small dosages, such as just 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes a day. And you'll see a great result. And that is to sit with no distraction and simply remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And some say that you will, can increase all this by listening to the Qur'an on your headphones, by looking at the name of Allah or the Kaaba or the Masjid al-Nabawi, and, and by doing dhikr. Okay? Of course, if you listen to the Qur'an, you just listen to the Qur'an. You don't listen to Qur'an and do dhikr. Or you can listen to different adhkar on headphones, and do and follow along with it. So khalwa essentially is to, to 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 close off all the worldly distractions and sit and remember Allah. That's it. But when they used to do khalwa two, three, four days, we don't do that because you can actually damage yourself. So you only do twenty minutes a day, thirty minutes a day, forty minutes a day, an hour a day, right? And that's a lot. Can I keep a short beard? Well, the Hanafi school may, I heard that the dominant opinion of the Hanafi school, it must be a fist length. There's a Jordanian scholar who argued against that. 
and the Madiki school, anything that people call a beard is sufficient to have as a beard. But it should not be longer than a fist length. The Madiki do not allow longer than a fist length because it's simply that showing off. Does any degree of losing touch with reality deem someone not sane in Islam? I work with people that hear voices, but they recognize it's a part of their illness and they function normally. So insane by Sharia standpoint or def definitions is that the person cannot comprehend basic statements right and left, for example. Is, look, is Muhammad um, Hijab and his aqeedah and how he deals with atheists I don't know if Muhammad, I know Muhammad Hijab he began as a Salafi but what his um, officially how does he describe his aqeedah now Allah, we can ask him that on the stream but he's he debates these atheists very well okay and the, the general world in London that he exists in are the, mainly the Salafi guys if I make istikhara about something and people start telling me to go ahead with the matter but I feel consumed by uncertainty what should I do continue doing the istikhara and continue acting like going about doing what you're doing istikhara is not to make istikhara and wait for a sign Istikhara is that I've thought about it. I've made my own decision. I'm doing it. Now I'm praying istikhara, seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, sh to, to, to show me if I'm on the right track. Now, as you keep doing your action, that action, the, the, you will get help and ease or hardship and obstacles. If you get hardship and obstacles, that is, Allah is telling you, you didn't make the right decision. If you do get help and ease, Allah is telling you, you didn't make the right decision. So when we do istikhara, you must make a decision before praying istikhara. Istikhara is not like a flipping a coin. No, it's Allah does not want us to be indecisive. How do I make a decision? Istishara. Ask people. Use your own mind. You are responsible for your actions and your decisions. Should not be left for luck or left trying to leave in. It's a, it's a, you're running away from responsibility. You're running away from having to make a decision. And that's not acceptable for us, right? You got to think. You got to ask the experts, ask people, and make a decision yourself. Take responsibility for your action. Then istikhara will confirm if you are right or wrong. And if you are wrong, alhamdulillah, you'll get so many obstacles that you'll leave off the action. Here's Bully McGuire. Should I seek forgiveness if I know I will sin again or think it's a good it's good to repent now and that I can sin later when I'm laid off the azab of the previous ones? Well, rather than making istighfar in like in making an advanced payment of repentance so that you can get some more sins, do some more sins. No, that's not the way to do it. The way to do it, if you have a feeling inside yourself that you're not going to be able to control yourself, which happens. Some people, their nafs is so strong 
that he knows I can't control it yet. It's going to, I can't control myself. So what you do is you, instead of making a pre prepaid toba and then having, you know, go, no, you don't do that. Ask Allah to help you control your nafs. Ask Allah to help you strengthen yourself over yourself. Okay. That's what you should do. Do we eat Skittles and M&M's? Yes. He may be asking for some ingredient or other, but yes, we do eat them. How do we do respond to someone who says making dua and doing actions is the same thing as just doing it? No. Because when you make dua, you draw near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You bring bound divine blessings. You bring ease to yourself. You heart, You soften the hardship. And you are obeying God's command to pray to him. So istikhara should not be that I make istikhara and wait for a dream. I make istikhara and wait for a sign. No. The sign is ease. But in order to have ease, you have to be taking action. So that the path opens up for you. Is the majority opinion that Ezra... Is Uzair. Yes, I believe so. Uh, uh, Uzair is the one who received the Torah after it was lost. After the Babylonian captivity of 70 years. He is the one who went. And Allah put him in a deep sleep. Death. Allah made him die for 100 years, then resurrected him. When he woke up, he came out and found Jerusalem has now is now flourishing. The grass is green. The kids are running around. All the Bani Israel is back. However, there's a problem. They had lost the Torah. Could you imagine an Ummah lost their book? They only knew some prayers that they had memorized as kids and they had no scholars. Because they were in the Babylonian captivity, they lost it all. Then a comet appeared. People just looked at it, didn't pay much attention. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it seemed to be headed towards Jerusalem. Simultaneously, they had discovered that Uzair is alive. And he had a girl, there used to be a girl that lived and worked for them, for his house. And she had had an injury. Or sorry, he had had an injury. And she said, hold on a second. If he has an injury on his back, then I, then I could testify that he is Uzair. And she was able to recognize him, right? That injury. Okay. And she had grown so old by that time. 100 years passed. No, she's extremely old. But he was still in his youth. That light kept growing and growing and growing until that light came in and, and fell down on t- into Jerusalem, into Uzair. And what was that? Knowledge of the Torah. But before that, Uzair had actually buried the Torah, knowing that it was something that can be lost. When, they, when he went to dig it up, it had been eaten. Because remember, in the old days, paper was not the same as it is today. So it had all disappeared. So that light then came upon him and he began reciting the Torah over and over, cover to cover, 
and the scribes would come from every city and write the whole Torah down. That's how they got revived, their deen. You can read this in the, 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 the Surah Al-Baqarah and all the stories about Uzair. And he recited the Torah like this for, for many days straight until many scribes had taken it down and it became mutawatir again. Right, and then so that's what we call mustafid. Mustafid means it starts from one person, then it becomes mutawatir. And shortly after he did that, he passed away. He had fulfilled his mission. Okay. Somebody's asking about the, the method of qunut uh, in the Maliki madhab. The method of qunut in the Maliki madhab is that after in the second rakah after the surah. We remain silent and we do qunut silently before ruku'a in the second rakah. All right, a couple more questions. Views of general and sunnah. There's a question here about how did scholars like Badruddin Hassani manage to send 30,000 salawats? Uh, subhanallah, I mean, listen, human beings are capable of amazing things. I mean, bodybuilders to me are amazing, right? But um, this is like bodybuilding. Like you have reached a level that we can't even fathom it, right? Like you can't fathom those bodies. Like how does a human being do that to himself, right? How did you build that up? But obviously there is a way to build it up. They started just like a scrawny twig like everybody else and then boom, he's a bodybuilder eight months later. And in Hollywood, how are these guys walking around looking perfect? They have techniques, right? They know what diet to eat, what to exercise to do and they have time to do it. So likewise, in the realm of Ibadah, these shiuch, they're like those bodybuilders but in Ibadah. And they started off as hum- like everyone else and worked their way up up and up and up and it's stronger and stronger and stronger and then maybe some supernatural elements happen there where it's a matter of divine help right Allah aiding them to be able to do this okay Kid Cass you uh, did, didn't you ask this question about Mamadik breaking his arms and I answered it yesterday and I said that Madik never got hit to the point that he broke his arms he never I, I don't believe that he broke his arms at all in his life. He was never jailed. Um, and and when someone dislocates their shoulder, the cast is like this, not like this. So the hands down in the Madiki school has nothing to do with Madik being uh, tortured. It has to do with the actual answer to his question about praying like this in the obligatory prayer. And he said he's never heard of that. In other words, as a ruling from a scholar to do this in the obligatory. Rather, it's a rukhsa, all right, to do it in the nafila if you're going to have a long recitation because the blood would go down to your fingers and you'd get numb, right? So Malik did not consider that. That's the primary source. And there are many other hadith that you can go to at safinasidi.org slash sadl, S-A-D-L. Go to safinasaidi.org slash sadl, S-A-D-L, and you could read more sources on that. Where do the stories of Madik come from? Yeah, I mean, these, 
unfortunately, I have to say this, and I don't mean to be sectarian and have to say this, but Salafis, they find themselves, they give themselves authority to speak about these madhabs, and they never lived in those books. They never probably can't even list you the main resources of the school, the madhab. They're getting it from their shiu who got it from somehow, but if you want to talk about a madhab, how about respecting the madhab? Read the madhab from its own sources. And I don't mean to, to offend any, you know, Salafis who, who, who do that, but go to the sources. Don't quote what, you, what your shiuch said about the Hanafi school. How about read the Hanafi books? We consider it in the world of Ahlul Madahib an insult to speak about another madhab. Okay. Unless you're going to read directly from their books. And, and there needs a knowledge of which books to take from. All right. They even say it in the in the in the Usul al Fatwa, if you are if you don't have a Sheikh near you and you're gonna give rulings and answer questions from books, you have to make sure which book you're reading from. On top of that, we don't really know if you understood or not. So to answer to give fatawa from books by itself requires a modicum of knowledge. And Shiuk may allow you to do so because they know that you understand the books. And which books to go to. All right. So message to those who uh, talk about different madhahib and their rulings and opinions from outside the madhahib, not actually even respecting the madhahib and reading their own books that are the mu'tamad for these hundreds of thousands of ulama. Right? you're only going to make yourself look bad because everyone in the method is going to say, you don't even know what you're talking about. It's like learning, getting, learning about U.S. law from, from like uh, Chinese uh, uh, tabloid newspapers, right? That's not, they're, they're not going to give you an accurate transmission. You know, just trying to pick an example where people are at odds and usually American tabloid news. Okay, how about this? Let's get Chinese news about China from an American tabloid newspaper like the New York Post. Or even from the New York Times. Even the New York Times is going to give you a slant. We just saw the Atlantic Monthly, how ridiculous the slant was. So slanted, he's back the other side, right? Such a slant, that's absurd. So you can't go to other sources to learn about, uh, uh, especially when we know that they have an agenda. But if you want the authentic stories about Imam Malik, about his rulings, about his Sahaba, about his Shiyukh, about his methodology, go to Tartib al-Madarik by Qadi Iyad. Nobody has gathered more about Imam Malik himself, his sayings, his biography, his Shiyukh and his students, than it's like this big, multi-volume, Tartib al-Madarik. And in it, one of the statements is that Never will be a statement from Malik or Abu Hanifa. Guarantee. Absolute guarantee. They will never say this because that's not their manhaj. That's not their madhab. Okay? Their usul is that above the solitary hadith is the amal. And the Hanafis have their own version of that for the Kufans. And of course, Malik has his own version of that. Amal Ahl al-Madinah is stronger than a single solitary hadith. Okay. 
Let's now turn to. Hey, did you do you know how to um, go into the dhikr for Wednesday? Because we always read some adhkar and then we stop for du'a because it is Wednesday and that's a Wednesday is a day in which um, du'a between Dhuhr and Asr, there is a period of time and only Allah knows when that du'a, that, that, that du'a will be accepted. So anytime it's a Wednesday, you should take the time out, do some ibadah, do some dhikr and do some du'a. So we're going to pause now and do that right now and close our stream with that. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim La ilaha illallah al-Malikul Haqqul Mubin 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 Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Inna fatahna laka fatham mubina Liaghfira laka Allahu ma taqaddama min dhambika wa ma taakhir ويتم نعمته عليك ويهديك صراطا مستقيما وينصرك الله نصرا عزيزا وكان عند الله وجهه وجهه في الدنيا والآخرة ومن المقربين وجهت وجهي للذي فطر السماوات والأرض بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نصر من الله وفتن قريب وبشر المؤمنين يا أيها الذين آمنوا كنوا أنصار الله كما قال عيسى بن مريم للحواريين من أنصاري إلى الله قال الحواريون نحن أنصار الله الله لا إله إلا هو الحي القيوم لا تأخذه سنة ونانهم له ما في السماوات وما في الأرض من ذا الذي يشفع عنده إلا بإذنه يعلم ما بين أيديهم وما خلفهم ولا يحيطون بشيء من علمه إلا بما شاء واسع كرسيه السماوات والأرض ولا يؤد أفضهما وهو ناني نظيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لو أنزلنا هذا القرآن على جبل لرأيته خاشعا متصدعا من خشية الله وتلك المتن نضربها للناس لعلهم يتفكرون هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو عالم الغيب والشهادة هو الرحمن الرحيم هو الله الذي لا إله إلا هو الملك القدوس السلام المؤمن المهمن العزيز الجبار المتكبر سبحان الله عما يشركون هو الله الخالق البارئ المصور له الأسماء الحسنى يسبح له ما في السماوات والأرض وهو العزيز الحكيم أعيد نفسي بالله تعالى من كل ما يسمع بأذنين وأبسر بعينين وأمشي برجنين وأبتش بيدين وتكلم الشفتين حصنت نفسي بالله الخالق الأكبر من شر ما أخاف وأحذر من الجن والإنس يا حافظ يا حفيظ من حسنت نفسي بالله الخالق الأكبر من شر ما خاف وأحذر من الجن والإنس وأن يحضرون عز جاره وجل ثناؤه وتقدست أسماؤه ولا إله غيره اللهم نجعلك في نهور آدائي وأعوذ بك من شرورهم وتحيونهم ومكرهم ومكائدهم أطفئ نار من أراد بعداوة من الجن والإنس يا حفظ يا حفظ يا كافي يا محيط سبحانك يا رب ما أعظم شأنك وأعز سلطانك تحصنت بالله وبأسماء الله وبآيات الله وملائكة الله وأنبياء الله ورسل الله والصالحين من عباد الله حصنت نفسي بلا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم 
اللهم احرسني بعينك التي لا تنام واكنفني بكنفك الذي لا يرام ارحمني بقدرتك على يفلا اهلك وانت ثقتي ورجائي يا غياث المستغيثين يا غياث المستغيثين يا غياث المستغيثين يا درك الهالكين يا درك الهالكين يا درك الهالكين اكفني شر كل طارق يطرق بليل او نهار الا طارقا يطرق بخير انك على كل شيء قدير بسم الله ارقي نفسي من كل ما يرضي من كل حاسد الله شفائي بسم الله رقيت اللهم رب الناس اذهب الباس اشفي انت الشافي وعافي انت المعافي لا شفاء الا شفاءك شفاء لا يغادر السقم ولا الم يا كافي يا وافي يا حميد يا مجيد ارفع عني كل تعب شديد واكفني من الحدي والحديد والمرض الشديد والجيش العديد وجعلني نورا من نورك وعزا من عزك ونصرا من نصرك وبهاء من بهائك وعطاء من عطائك وحراسة من حراستك وتأييد من تأييدك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام والمواهب العظام أسألك أن تكفيني من شر كل ذي شر إنك أنت الله الخالق الأكبر وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه والحمد لله رب العالمين ظاهرا وباطنا وعلى كل حال يا أرحم الراحمين Take a few seconds for dua آله وصحبه وسلم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين